Um, so, if you are new here, uh, just as a reminder, we are in John, and we've been in John for a bit, and as we continue on in John, uh, let me remind you of the purpose of the book of John. You might wonder why I repeat this every week. I want you to get done with John um, at the end of this long series, and I want you to never forget what the book of John is about. And many of you can recite this back to me, but I'll just uh, read it once again out of verse 31 of chapter 20. These things were written down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. Not in my name, not in your name, not in any other name besides the name of Jesus. It's that important. That's what we sing about. That's what I pray our lives are about. Now, as we enter into John 15, I'm going to tell you this right now. There's going to be parts in here that you um, love and I won't hit. There's going to be parts in here that you hate and I'm definitely going to hit. Uh, but the point in all of this is that I'll tell you this. John 15 is what wrecked my life as a non-believer. So much so that when I became a believer uh, and I was in a Christian fraternity at A&M, my intramural number was 15-5. So like this like made a difference in my life uh, so much that I had 15 colon five on the back of my shirt in whatever intramural sport. And I was probably taking it out of context. I was probably like, yeah, I'm gonna do this because I'm abiding in Jesus. Without, without Jesus, I can do nothing. I was probably taking it out of context. I'm sure many of us have probably taken some things out of context. But anyways, that was my life. And the reason why is because I can remember distinctly to today. In the fall of 1999, I remember walking to Spanish class in, in the Zachary building at A&M, and I remember seeing my friend Reagan outside on a beautiful day reading her Bible. And as I walked by, I kind of arrogantly was like, hey, let me see that Bible real quick. Let me read that real quick. And I read it, and what she was reading was John 15. And I remember reading John 15, 5, the words, without me, you can do nothing. And it was disorienting. And it was daunting, and it was haunting, and yet it was also hopeful because in that moment, God began, I was not converted, I was not a believer yet, and I didn't get saved that day, but there was a journey that not, didn't begin that day, but it continued on that day to go deeper, to just say, man, I can do nothing on my own, and as a young college student, don't you know that you can think you can tackle the world on your own? Just get the right education, just pursue the right degree, and you're going to tackle and change the world. But that, many days, is not true, especially if we are not abiding in the vine. My prayer today is that if you have been running this Christian race for any amount of time, I know that you have been tempted to bear fruit outside of the vine. You've been tempted to bear fruit faster and bigger. You've been tempted to go quicker and so my prayer truly is that you come back to the vine, come back to his pace. It's slow. I don't know if you've ever planted anything, but it's a slow work, a slow work. So if you are in the vine and you've tried to bear fruit apart from the vine, my prayer is that you would be haunted and yet find a hope in the vine. And if you're not a Christian and you've been trying to fit in, the vine is there, waiting, waiting calling, bringing you in to graft you in. That's what he wants. There is a danger today, I will say, and it continues on from last week that I think there's a bit of a danger in John 14 through 16 because we are a people that are secured by no one else except for God himself. He brought us in 
and he, we're certainly not gonna be able to walk away from him in our own power. Instead, there is a danger though and a tension that we have been fully accepted and yet at the same time we've been given commands. It's like he, he fully accepts us and yet at the same time we're called to do some things as a result of that acceptance. And if we're not careful, if we're not uh, uh, really truly diligent to what God is trying to tell us to do, uh, we can think one of two things. These are two of Satan's lies that he tells us. Number one, the first lie is this, that we can earn God's love. And therefore our obedience, our obedience earns his acceptance. That's not true. And the other lie is somewhat like it, that not only can we uh, earn God's love, which is a lie, but also we can unearn God's love. That also is a lie. Somehow, you and I can lose God's acceptance with our disobedience. And if you look at John 15, I want you to just consider this. If you think today is about losing your salvation, which is, I'm just gonna tackle right at the top part of this, because if you don't get us, get, get through that first hurdle, you'll never hear anything else. So first hurdle is this. First question that, that God's gonna provide for us out of John 15 is, are we really secure in the vine or is he gonna lop us off if we don't obey? I'll remind you of the context of our guy Peter who at the end of John 13 says, man, I, there's no way that any of this is gonna go south. I'll die for you, Jesus. He thinks he's ready to die for Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and goes, man, before the third crow of the rooster, you not only won't die for me, you're gonna disappear. He knows exactly what's going on and, and not only is Peter thinking he's better than he is, thinking that he's going to die for Jesus, but the rest of them will desert him. And yet, when Jesus returns from the dead, he comes and he restores Peter into ministry. He restores the rest of the guys into this purpose. Their disobedience didn't make them lopped off from the vine. I'll also remind you of what happens in the rest of the book of John, just so we can kind of get our picture around the security that we have in Christ not being dependent upon our obedience. We didn't get here by our obedience. We're not gonna stay here by our obedience. Instead, it is all on the power and the will of God. Look at John 6, 37 through 40. Look at just some pictures of security that we have in Christ. If we're gonna talk about being abiding in the vine, I just wanna knock this first hurdle down. Look what John 6 says about our security. All that the Father has given me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. Never means never. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. Jesus will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, not temporary life, eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, that's in John 6. In John 10, he says this, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I will know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Not even you, not even me. We can't break the grip of God through disobedience. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Brothers and sisters, believers, you 
are secure. Don't listen to the rest of what I have to say today in John 15, wondering, fearful on whether or not God's going to kick you out because you're not listening quickly enough for him. That's simply not true. Instead, he's brought you in. He's going to keep you and nourish you. That's his promise if we're in the vine. Believers, we're secure. So here's the, the great tension, right? Kind of drawing back from last week, one of the verses that I put up on the screen was Titus 2, that, that, that grace has appeared to all men to train us for godly behavior and good works. That was drawing from last year. So grace comes, God doing for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. And it's not just to make us lazy, but to make us zealous for God and for good. I mean, that's really what this whole thing's all about. So to understand John 15, let me just kind of introduce this, and really this is gonna be a lot of our day, is to understand Jesus's illustration. And to understand Jesus's illustration, let me just kind of pull back and just uh, let us understand that the kingdom of God is like a vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard. And so when Jesus says this in John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. There's a lot of false vines. There's been vines that have come before, but I am the true vine. He is making a point. This is the last of seven I am statements in the book of John. And as he makes this last statement, it is his not so subtle way of telling everyone that's listening, particularly those of Jewish descent, that he is the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He is that God, the great I am, the one who said, who, who, sh who shall I say that sent me? That's what Moses would say. I am who I am. I am the bread of life, he would say in John 6, that Jesus is the true and better manna from heaven. He is the manna in the desert who not only supplies our physical need for food, but supplies us for, with far greater, our spiritual need for food. He is the true and better shepherd. When he said, I am the good shepherd, he's the true and better shepherd, who opposed, who opposed to the false shepherds of Israel, who whispered peace, peace, where there was no peace, now has promised us to give us a peace that the world could not give us. Though this is not an I am statement, in John 7, he is the true and better rock of Moses, where Moses struck the rock and water flowed out. Now Jesus is saying, through the Holy Spirit, I dwell in you, and now you have a river of life flowing through you. See, he's coming and he's fulfilling scripture and promises and prophecies again and again and again. And so when he says, I am the true vine, he's also saying, I'm the true and better vine. That means there must have been some shadow of this in the Old Testament, and indeed, there was. Israel was known as the vine of God. In the Old Testament, you see this over and over again, whether it be Psalm 80 or Ezekiel 15 or Isaiah 5, that Israel is pictured as this vine that was uprooted from Egypt, and it was taken, and it took deep root, and it filled the land, Psalm 80 would say, after it was planted in rich, fertile ground, Isaiah 5 would say. But due to unfaithfulness, only produced sour grapes. Never produced what God had intended it for through unfaithfulness. This is what Isaiah 5, how it describes, how God describes this vine. 
And as he's starting off this prophecy about God's people being basically submitted to judgment, this is what he says in uh, verse four of Isaiah five. It'll come up on the screen. Look what God says. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes, sour grapes, basically grapes that were good for nothing? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. I'm going to remove the protection around it, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that they rain that rain will not be upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Why do I read that to us? Because it's important for us to see this picture of this old vine that Jesus is now saying, in me, I am the fulfillment of what God intended. Through me, there will be much fruit born upon the earth. He is the true and better vine, unlike unfruitful Israel, who would not bear fruit of justice and righteousness. Jesus, the true vine, has borne fruit by pursuing justice on the cross and becoming our righteousness. See, he's true and better. He's the true vine. But he's not alone in this vineyard. No, there is a gardener there as well, this vine dresser that is there as well. And what is the gardener there to do? The gardener's vineyard was planted and designed, and he has one purpose for this vineyard, and that is to produce as much fruit as possible. Pulling back, if you were to build a garden in your backyard, you wouldn't just kind of make those planter boxes just because you liked the carpentry work or stain it just because you like to see what happens with stain. You'd put up some sort of irrigation system. You would tend it. You would try and find a way to make sure that what you put in the ground bears some fruit. Anybody tried this? Yeah? A lot harder than it looks? Yeah? Yeah, it's a lot harder than it looks. I've never tried it because I just watch y'all on Facebook and fail and I'm like, I'm not gonna waste my time doing that. But God knows, right? He knows how difficult it is. He knows how much time and effort it is to bear fruit in any garden. And his one purpose in this vineyard is to bear fruit. I want y'all to hear that because he is going to do everything for that purpose. He is laser focused on the purpose of bearing fruit upon the earth. Our gardener is, our vine dresser, our father. Look at what it says in verses two through six. He's gonna do everything necessary, right? Verse two. Actually, I'm gonna read verse one. I am the, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire. And if you wanted to know what happens next, burned. He's leaving no doubt as to the destiny of those who are cut off. He's also leaving no doubt to the destiny of those that abide, that are truly in the vine. There's two types of branches here that Jesus talks about. And in order to protect the health and promote health of the whole vine, the gardener will cut off the dead branches and he prunes the healthy branches. He's going to cut off and cut back. He's going to lop off the dead branches. You saw this picture of this in that video that we started with, with that kid. I don't know what he was on, but he had those loppers, right? And he was about to He's really pruning, but he's cutting off some branches with those loppers. That's what I think about when I'm thinking about what he's doing. He's cutting off the branches that do not belong. Now, there's a danger here. I want to get back to this idea of eternal security. There's a danger in here because in verse 2, it says, Every branch in me. In me. So it must be talking about those Christians that somehow lose their salvation. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about those that look like they fit. It's talking about those that, that fill the, the, the seats of every church in the Bible Belt. Perhaps in this church, perhaps at one weekend, perhaps in our neighborhood group, or even in our growth groups. Those that appear to fit in, appear to be a part of the vine. But over time, you find out that they actually don't. It's a tough reality. This is what it looks like for Branches to look like they belong but don't. Going back to John 6. Remember Jesus' words? He said, whoever, whoever wants to follow me, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like literal words of Jesus. This is when the crowds were swelling and he had just fed 5,000 and there's tons of people around, literally. And then he looks at everybody and goes, hey, if you wanna keep following me, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. Who's this vampire Jesus? What's his, what is it all about? It freaks them out, right? And the disciples start to go, what is this all about? Why is he being so weird about flesh and blood? And Jesus says this in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, this saying, they said, man, that's a hard saying. Who can obey it? Who can listen to that? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Skip to 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew, get that y'all, Jesus knew from the beginning, that's like from the beginning of all of time, from the beginning, he knew who those were who did not believe him and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Is this not the Judases of the crowd? They look like they fit in. They're doing all the things that Christians do. I mean, at the, at the Last Supper, when Jesus says, one of you is gonna betray me, they didn't all go, it's Judas for sure. Gonna be Judas. They all looked around, they're like, is it me? Holy crow, it could be me. Is it me? See, Judas's life was not discernibly different than the rest of those guys. But Judas was there. He was a part of the vine. He was a part of the branches. He blended in beautifully. 
See, that's the kind of disciple that follows Jesus right up until he says some hard stuff and goes, I don't know what that meant, but I'm out. That is too hard for me. That's the kind of lopping off that God is putting before us. Not the kind that Peter has where he's following and he's confessing and he's going after Jesus and no matter what happens, he's continually following after Jesus. And it's the kind that, man, they look really good. They go to Bible studies, but they're mean. They come to church on Sunday and they have this like cultural acceptance that they have to prove to somebody else that they're Christians, but nothing changes. They're still living crazy. There's no submission to the lordship of Jesus, no following of a Messiah who, who has started his whole ministry by saying, you guys come and follow me. What's this gonna be about? Where are we gonna live? You guys, come on. I'm not giving you any of those answers. You just come, trust, follow, obey. See, Jesus knows who they really are and we can too. They bear no fruit. No fruit of repentance, no fruit of joy, no fruit of peace or love or trust. There's no fruit. See, the temptation for us, I think, is this with those that tend to fit in and then their fruit or the, the fruit of their lives starts to kind of look like more like Judas than Jesus. The temptation for us who are abiding in the vine is that we try to lop off the branch that doesn't fit anymore. That's not our job. And the way that we do this is that we go, man, I don't know, but that ain't right and I'm out of here. I'm not gonna submit myself to that. I'm not gonna put my kids around that. That's not how Jesus calls us to live. Instead, what if we reoriented how we thought about the branches that look like they fit but aren't really fitting and the way that we reoriented our life around that would be the way that God wants us to by inviting them to abide in the vine, by inviting them to quit trying to fit in but instead be grafted in, much like all of us have been. We don't expect them to act like believers because in fact they're not. And so we bring the gospel to them again and again and again. We don't cut ourselves off from them, we cozy up next to them, and we bring the gospel. See, but that's just one part of the branch, these dead branches that have been cut off. They look like they fit, but they don't fit. They don't bear fruit, and so the Father has promised to cut them off. We don't have to. He'll do it. There's also these fruitful branches, right? These are the branches that they also don't escape the blade of God, whereas there's a lopper to kind of just like, it's, it's bigger blade, it's out here, it's disconnected from the body of the Father. The pruning shears, you gotta have both hands in there. And I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi right now with a bonsai. Like that's, that's, that's the kind of pruning that God's doing for those who are abiding in Christ is this, this, this care, this surgical precision of cutting so that there would be healing. Isn't that what surgery's about? You all know, many of you know. I had blown out my Achilles last April and have been limping around ever since. And like it's still not right, but there's a, there was a surgery that needed to happen to cause healing in my body, to promote healing in my body that would have never otherwise been found. That's the kind of pruning, that's the kind of cut that God is promising to believers. Believers, friends, you cannot escape the blade of God. You're either going to be lopped off or you're going to be pruned in care. We need to hear this today. We need to hear this. See, these disciples that remained, they were cleaned. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse three? Look at verse three. Already you are clean. So we don't pick this up in the English, um, but this word for clean is actually the same root word for prune. 
Already you're pruned. You're clean. The, the, the bad branches have been busted away from you. You're cleaned up and pruned. You're already brought in. Why? Because they have abided. They have heard the words of God. Nothing of their own brought them into this vine. And instead now, God is pruning us, disciplining us, carefully, with precision, with a surgical care of healing for us. This is what Hebrews 12 says about the matter of discipline. I want you to just hear this, Christians, because we've got to submit to the discipline of God so that he can prune us so that we can bear even more fruit. He, he prunes off some really healthy stuff or really unhealthy stuff so that we can bear even healthier amounts of fruit. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says this, and if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, now talking to us, my son, this is a quote from Proverbs 3, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons and daughters. We cannot escape the pruning discipline of our good and gracious vine dresser. If we try to, we're in peril. Not only in the non-abiding, but also if we just try to like, oh, please don't hurt me with that pruning shear. Like discipline, disappointment, disorientation. The Bible would say that we're, we're illegitimate children because God disciplines all those whom he loves. All of this, the Father prunes us through suffering. Doesn't he do that? Through the suffering that you've endured this week, has he not, has he not been pruning you? Has he not been, been calling you back to abide in the vine? All of us who have endured deep darkness in our spiritual life will also tell you that was the greatest and sweetest time with the Lord. He prunes us through suffering, through persecution, through trials of every kind, and even giving us what we want sometimes so that we can get to the end of this desire in us and realize, man, that's not doing it either. And he prunes that and calls us back to find our nutrition in the vine. So whatever you're going through, whatever trial you're in or you're headed into or you just came out of, whatever rejection you have, whatever conflict you're managing in your family or with your friends, whatever illness, whatever it is, God is putting a purpose to that to prune you, to provide for you your ultimate health and to bear much fruit in you. So what is this fruit, right? I mean, I would say this, like if fruit is the key to this whole thing, then understanding what fruit is, is of great importance. The gardener's going to produce fruit in us. What kind of fruit? This is pretty important. We will bear eternal spiritual fruit. In our world, in our culture, I think that we sometimes think that fruitfulness means numbers. 
Like when we start thinking about churches, we start thinking about ministries, we start thinking about pastors, and we go, man, like, the, like God must be blessing them because they got a lot of people that go to their church or that follow them or their Twitter, Twitter followers. I can even say the word, I'm never on it. Or Facebook or whatever. Like all of a sudden we start to mix in our minds what fruitfulness really is in the Bible. It has nothing to do with the size or the amount of followers that you have. If so, Jesus would have been an utter failure, right? At the end of his life, he's dying on the cross, and who's there? John. And he's really, I think, there just for Mary. His mom and one of his best friends. And that's it. Everybody else is out. Like, I ain't having it. At the end of Jesus' life, if we measured fruit by the amount of people that were following him and being faithful to him, Jesus would have been an utter failure. But that's not the fruit. That's not the way that we can measure whether or not God is blessing something or not, whether or not someone is, is abiding in the vine. Instead, I love how Shane prayed this earlier. Instead, it's right there in verse 11. Look at what it says. It just continues on. I'm gonna read uh, verse seven through 11. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you and ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. How is God glorified in you? that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now look, all these things, all these things, y'all, Jesus spoke to them and reiterates to us today, to us, so that Jesus' joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be be full. You want joy? You want the fruit of the Spirit to just start being born in you, like in multiples? Do you want not just joy, but also the love that God has given the Son, now he gives to you? Do you want the peace that, that, that Jesus has promised in John 14? Not a peace that the world gives to you and can't deliver on, but the peace that will be delivered upon when he sends his spirit in us to testify to us again and again of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Doesn't that give us the peace that we need? It's this fruit of the spirit that comes, this eternal fruit that God wants to bear in us. See, some of us are okay with producing a fruit that comes with being independent, that we pull up our, ourselves by the bootstraps by God because we're, we're from Texas. That is not the gospel way. The gospel way is I can't do this on my own. I will depend again and again on the vine. I will, I will remain in him so that he will bear fruit in me for the glory of my father, the gardener. All we do is stay connected, which he said you're already in it. He's put us in this position, so we abide in him. That's the command. That's our responsibility. Continue to abide in Jesus. See, for me, I get real tied up in fruit. Right now, I'm in this, this 2019. I don't usually do like the year of words. I know that some of y'all do that. Like, oh, what's your, your word this year? I don't do that, although this year I'm doing that. So my word this year is self-control. How can I be more self-controlled in my emotions, in my responses, with my words, oddly enough? Like, that's a big one. How can I do that? I can only do that by abiding in the vine so that the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit who will bear that fruit out in my life. I pray. 
I will abide in him. Uh, I'll stay connected in him. But if I just start thinking about all the things that I can do to be more self-controlled, well, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Facebook off my phone, which I did. I'm gonna do this over here. I'm gonna do that over there. I mean, all these little things, that's all external stuff. It's good. It means nothing if I'm not connected deeply to Jesus. It's the only way that any fruit will come of this. See, for me, I have to remind myself again and again that this passage never commands me to bear fruit. It only commands me to abide, to remain in the position where God has already placed me. This idea of being a, having fruit produced in us, this idea of joy, Jesus' joy being produced in us will only happen if we abide in him. We will not find the kind of joy which God wants us to get, wants to give us as long as we are avoiding persecution, as long as we are sidestepping suffering. See, those are oftentimes the means by which God prunes us and produces this fruit in us. I'm not saying go and be some crazy Christian who like whips themselves and walks up on stairs on their knees until they can find their peace with God. It's not what I'm saying, which has happened in history. If you don't know that, look at Martin Luther's life. I'm not saying to do that. Instead, what I'm saying is abiding in him, trusting the gardener no matter what. No matter what. See, we will also not experience the kind of joy, peace, and love by pursuing a good marriage, by raising obedient children, by, by securing that one sale that you were looking at all week long, or by approving our boss. Nor is it by accumulating more and more and more. These are the things that we spent most of our time on this last week. Obedient children, like a good, peaceful marriage, succeeding in our workplace, those are the things that capture a lot of our time, and that's not the way to find joy. Instead, abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. Instead, Jesus would say this, like he, he truly will take away whatever is not bearing fruit in our lives to prune us so that we will bear more fruit to the glory of the Father. He will take away self-glorifying fruit, sometimes your work, sometimes your health, sometimes your house, so that you will bear the fruit of love and peace and joy and self-control and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5. The question that Jesus puts before us today is found in verse 8. See, he says this, I said all these things to you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove yourselves to be my disciples so demonstrate that you truly are abiding in the vine. So show yourselves to the world that you truly are connected to Jesus. The question is this, will we show that we are Jesus' disciples by abiding in the vine and taking no matter what pruning he wants to give us, no matter what circumstances he throws our way to prune off unhealth and to promote fruit bearing or fruit, Will we submit to that? And will we show that we trust him no matter what? Or will we only abide in him when he gives us what we want? See, that's, I think, the question. If, if we're gonna glorify God and, and show ourselves to be Jesus' disciples, will we trust our father, our gardener, to do whatever he must 
for our health and for the fruit that wants to be born upon the world. Let's pray. Father, it's a good question to end on. It's a good question to consider, especially as we respond and sing. Will we be a people that find our ultimate joy in you? Or in seeing our kids succeed at choir and baseball and softball and soccer and lacrosse and art? Is that where we're going to find our ultimate joy? Those are good. But they're not the things that you've called us to find our ultimate joy in. Instead, Lord, would you call us back to the vine? For those of us that have been kind of kicking at the vine, trying to get off because we don't want to be there anymore because it's, it's, it's not giving us what we want and the pace that we want. Lord, I pray that you would just, just bring us back. Let us just trust you. Let us submit to you. Let us follow you. Let us continue to obey you. When all of our affections are being pulled by all kinds of things, more, quicker, better, faster. Lord, bring us back to this counterintuitive reality of connecting, connecting with our creator. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you lead us into the truth about yourself? That these cuts that you'd put in our lives are good. For our health. Would you remind us that we cannot do anything of eternal value if we're not connected to you? Would you also remind us that we can't lose you? As your sons and daughters cannot disown their father and mother, just as we cannot do that, we have no power to do that with you either. Instead, we were born into a family, a physical family, a real family here, and we're born into a spiritual family with you. Not by our own will, just like in our own family. We didn't choose that. Instead, you have brought us in by your will, and so we accept it. And whatever discipline, whatever pruning you would have for us in our life, maybe it's not this week, maybe it's not this year, but it's probably coming. May we be a people that have an abiding trust and hope that you're doing something beyond what we can see to promote health and to promote fruit. May we find our joy in you, in Christ's name, amen.